How are you? Good, thanks. And you? Doing great, man. Well, thanks for being on the show. Um, nice to have you. Um, thanks for having me. I was me. just kind of giving people a little intro on you. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that, if there's anything else you want to add to your, you know, your backstory and kind of how you got to this point. And then I'd love to start diving into you know, what you found through your research to be the most effective ways to, for diet and exercise. Yeah, uh, well, your Toronto accent is actually pretty good. Uh, yeah, like you, you got all the main points. I'm from Toronto, um, Eastern European, yes, from the, uh, from the good old USSR. Uh, proud Canadian now. Um, and yeah, author of uh, seven books. And uh, additionally, I work as a personal trainer here in Toronto. Love it. Okay. And so were you, you born and raised in Toronto? No, I was, uh, so I was born in the Soviet Union, which today is uh, Kazakhstan, right, right next door to Borat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right, right. You guys are buds, <laughs> right. pals. Very nice. Very nice. And, it's nice. Uh, I like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, there we go. Now we're bringing out some accents. <laughs> there we go. And uh, when I was three, I moved to Israel. Uh, and when I was 10, I moved here to Canada, to Toronto. Oh, very good. Okay. And so now at what point in your life did you start taking diet and exercise seriously? And then like, what was the catalyst or were you kind of always that way? Um, so when I was um, eight or so, I got into martial arts and uh, it was pretty much just, just a hobby at that point. Um, eventually when I got to high school, uh, you start considering what are we going to do as a career? Uh, so my parents wanted me to be a computer programmer, interestingly enough. Um, now I have zero aptitude or interest in technology. I'm usually like one of the last 5% to get into a new technology, like Instagram, for instance. But uh, what I was interested in is uh, athletic performance enhancement, how to, because uh, again, I was doing martial arts and at that point I started competing. Um, so I started to get into, to get very interested in nutrition, um, in exercise, how do I improve my strength, endurance, flexibility, stuff like that. Right. Um, and eventually I decided to actually go against my parents' wishes, uh, not be a computer programmer and go for a kinesiology program and start working as a personal trainer all throughout my undergrad and beyond to, to nowadays. Very good. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, a good example of you can't force um, just because, you know, you're supposed to or, or you think you should. You can't force you can't you can't fight against nature and what your brain and your natural inclinations are and what you you know are naturally interested in and so you know it sounds like you you luckily took that to heart. I talk to so many people and see so many times where their life is literally a, the path that of the box they thought that they should be in, and they're doing yeah. it for somebody else and they're not going for what it is that's in their soul and their heart and what they are passionate about and have their strengths tied to. So good to hear that, man. Yeah, I can't imagine my um, my life going any other way because if I sit at a computer for like an hour, hour and a half, I get way too fidgety. I can't imagine doing it for eight hours. Yeah, speaking of, um, I guess quickly changing topics, when I was looking at your Instagram page, I saw uh, the right way to correct your posture. Speaking of sitting at you know your desk, and I definitely – and be guilty. I've got this, this tool. It's called the upright go. Have you ever heard of it? No, but tell me about it. Uh, spe yeah. Speaking of technology. So this is it right here. And okay. I, I put it on the back of my neck. I, I don't usually do it for interviews because um, it distracts me, but basically it goes on the back of your neck and it vibrates every time you start to lean forward. So you set your default. Oh. And then when you yep. start to lean forward, it vibrates. And it's really awesome, actually, because it, it just, you know, ha we are our habits. Our habits are us. And if your habit is this, you know, slump, slumping forward, then that's going to compound over time and you're going to end up looking like a sloth. And I have that in my family. So I see, I see where I'm headed if I don't correct it now. Um, so that's yep. been working and helping me. When I don't, when I'm just walking around regularly, I just, I think about trying to tuck in my chin. Um, a right. lot of people try to, stick out their chest and stick out their butt. But I was told that's not the right way. So I'm curious to get your take on it. Yeah. So we used to say that the best posture is military posture. So upright, yeah, chest out, um, et cetera. Uh, now we know better. Uh, the best posture is not the military posture. The best posture is the one that's always changing. Uh, if you have a military posture all the time, yeah, you won't have neck pain or back pain, but you, uh, you won't have neck pain or upper back pain. You will, you'll have lower back pain. Um, but if you have the opposite posture, you'll have neck pain and shoulder pain. So the best posture is the one that's always, always changing. So for, for, for the listeners, for the viewers, you know how your grade one teacher told you not to fidget? Forget it. 
uh, <laughs> fidgets, and it's actually very beneficial thing for you. Wow. And um, and the device you used um, is actually fantastic because um, you're 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 on the right tra- you're on the right track in the sense that habit is there's this thing that uh, posture is five percent conditioning, ninety five percent habit. So the things you do outside the gym for your posture matter a whole lot more than the things you do in the gym. All you have is about you know half an hour, an hour, hour and a half in the gym, but you have twenty three hours outside the gym. Um, so yeah, what you do outside the gym matters a whole lot more. And there are other tools uh, similar and different from the one you mentioned, but all working the same principle that eventually posture has to be at a subconscious reflexive level so you don't think about. Right. Um, one very simple tool or device is um, a kinesio tape or a, you know, a tape you put it across your, uh, across your shoulder blades or somebody puts it across your shoulder blades while you're in a further back position, not military per se, but more upright than you currently are. And every time you start to slash your shoulders, it starts to pull on the skin ever so slightly and pulling you back just as, as a reminder. Where do you get, so, so for people listening that wanted, yeah. maybe want to get that, I introduced them to the Upright Go. Don't, I don't yeah. work for Upright Go. I have no sponsorship available yeah. uh, or uh, you know, whatever, referrals. Uh, so yeah, what, this particular device, you just go on Amazon and we're like, what would you search for? What you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, you just search for Kinesio tape. You can also get it at local pharmacies. Um, pretty much anywhere in North America, UK, Australia. Um, yeah, great, great device. So, so is, so is the one that you, that you're using. Um, anything that reminds you on a constant basis through your posture that eventually you won't need. The, the goal of any of these devices is to get to a point where you don't need these devices. Got it. Excellent answer. Well, so, you know, when I do these shows, obviously there's so many different eating physical things that there's a million different things that people want to work on. And, you know, want to focus on, we only have a limited amount of time. So I figure why not focus on the ones that I'm going through and that I'm, I'm battling. And I'm sure there's, you know, hopefully other people out there that are, that are battling the same and we can kind of, you know, and I like to kind of just address, address them. And, and the key to this show that I'm always kind of, my goal is I don't like to just chat and have like no actual advice given to people. Cause I feel like that's what most people you know, in the wellness or whatever you want to call it field, um, tend to do. And it it just, uh, that habits word is so important. And that if you don't develop the habit, there's no point of you even ever having heard it. And you can't develop a habit without having that very first step of like, okay, I'm going to hold myself accountable to doing this versus just hearing, yeah, you should, you should, you should sit upright and, and this is how you do it. Like, okay, so what's the next step? Because I know I'm not, I'm going to forget two seconds after I hear it and I'm going to go back to this. So it's like, okay, buy a device or something to reduce the friction. Um, and we just gave two examples. So, um, I don't know if that's your type of philosophy, but that's how I like to give advice to help people. Yeah, yeah, totally. It has to be a step-by-step basis. And the, the very definition of the word habit is from the word habitual, uh, which means you, you don't think about it. So it's, it's on a subconscious level. Um, likewise, posture should eventually be subconscious. You shouldn't need the uh, right. device forever. Um, same with most, mo- most things that you want to make a habit. Now, if you do want to be paying attention to it, um, then it's not a habit. It's a ritual. Um, no, no, no harm in either one. You just have to know which one are you going for. Do you want something that, that where, where you do it mindfully or you, is it something that you want to do um, on autopilot? If you want to have good posture, you really want to have that on autopilot. You don't want that like as a cognitive load to you, but maybe your dinner with your, with your family, maybe you should be uh, uh, more, more mindful during your dinners with family. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I love how you put that. Cause that's it. You know, it's like habits don't care if they're good or bad helping or hurting us. Right. They're, yeah. they're going to do their thing and they're going to compound over time, no matter what. So you're either going to end up a permanent, uh, let's see if I can get that sloth looking there. It's a little hard from this angle, but uh, I mean, you, every, you all know the, when you look at an older person and they have that permanent hump on their back, you don't want that, right? So if you have that tendency and tall people, I've noticed, um, I think have it worse. I'm, t- I'm six foot three. So yeah. I definitely feel like I'm constantly, and now as I'm getting older, my eyes and my ears are going, so I'm leaning down to here and see people. Um, not that I'm talking to little, you know, midget troll. Oh, excuse me. S- small, <laughs> small people. Uh, oh God. I just butchered that. We're just going to move on from that. Cause that's, I know that was completely political and correct, but you guys, you get what I'm saying. And, and so, right. And it's, it's a lot, 
easier to get in the habit of doing that. If, and if you're not aware of it, forget about it. And especially, and then sitting at your desk all day. So you said you can only sit at your desk for one hour or so tops. I can yeah. sit at my desk for eight to 10 hours easily. Um, I mean, I'll get up and have a break or whatever, but that's, that's how I'm built. But what right. I end up doing is more and more slouching more and more forward and before I know it, I realize you know, that's become my default setting. So I got this thing. It's actually fairly new. I've been using it, and I love it. And it's a great reminder because then once I'm on autopilot and I'm like, okay, this is my default. But you gotta, your mind's got to be able to catch itself, and it's not going to do it without any help. Yeah, it takes about three to six months for something conscious to become subconscious on condition that you do it frequently enough. So I would actually disagree with that um, in that I think that from my research with habits, there's no magic number. Um, three to six months, sure. Uh, I think that habits can take that long, but I've also found that you can develop habits much quicker as well within, yeah, within so, a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Let, let me qualify that. This is just about posture. Ah, uh, thank you. About anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three to six months. Well, that's good to know. Three to yeah, six months. Yeah. So, so yeah. So if you think, yeah, if you think, if you get one of these devices and you think you've nailed it, don't take it off, keep doing it for just, and, and it's not, it's no big deal. You, I mean, it's a habit in itself to put the thing on every day. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. And so get in that habit and, you know, have an alarm. I have a daily routine that I have that every morning I sit down at my control center, my desk, and it's like, okay, these are the things. And, you know, they're each success habits that I'm, I know will help me in the long run. And that's one of them. And so I put that on and then it just becomes automatic. And then it's automatically reminding me because when you're working, you're not thinking about your posture. And so you just exactly. got to get that habit of, yeah. Yeah. And if it vibrates on your skin, all, all, all the better because it's an instant reminder and many times per hour at first. And then the better you get at it, the fewer reminders you need. Eventually. That's right. And I've already noticed that just in the last um, and recently, like it's, I'm, I'm doing it less because yeah. My, my, my mind is subconsciously going, oh, we don't want to feel that vibration. You know, that's bad. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned that taller people have a harder time with, with posture because you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, most, most, the average man is five foot nine. The average woman is five foot four. So if you're a six foot three, you're always leaning down to kind of get on, get on, get on somebody's level, uh, which is why it's, it's harder for taller people to, uh, to have good posture as they age. But uh, one very, very underrated factor when it comes to posture is your peripheral vision. With age, what happens is peripheral vision top to bottom narrows. And so if you can't see your feet, if you can't see the floor beneath you, you have to actually bend down to look at it. Um, but by expanding peripheral vision, you're actually able to um, to improve your posture. Because you can do all the back exercises that you want, but if the issue is with your eyes and you're not working on that, no back exercise, no simulation will help. Because again, you always want to see what's going down below you, so you're not stepping on something, you know, icy. Interesting. Yeah. So, and what it what give me? So, what is an exercise you can do where people can look for peripheral yeah. vision? So one, one, one very good exercise for peripheral vision is, oh, well, let's actually qualify that. By definition, peripheral vision is what you see when you're not looking at it, okay? So for instance, you would hold a pen in front of you like so, look at the pen, let the pen go down, 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 while not looking at the pen, looking in front of you and seeing how low you can go while still being able to see the pen. Hold that for a few seconds and back up. Okay, let me check. Yeah. Okay, and so where do you want to be able to get to? Um, ideally, in a standing position about your waist or thighs. Ooh. Yeah, I, I'm right around my waist just sitting, and I can still kind of see it. Okay, that's a good one. That's a great tip. Yeah. So and, so how, and so that tests it. So how do you improve it? So in this case, the test is also the improvement. Um, but in addition to that, there are a few other exercises you can do. For example, if you go for a for a 20 minute walk, 30 minute walk, just um, don't plug any podcasts in, don't plug any music, just focus on the peripheral vision. Just see how much of the world you can see while not looking directly at it. Because again, the, the definition of peripheral vision is what you see when you're not looking at it. Yeah, oh, that's good, I like that. Okay, well, I, great, this was a, we've, we've spent a good amount of time on posture, which I think is a, a really important one because as more and more, you know, as society's changing, as we're evolving, that take that word however you will. Sometimes I feel like we're devolving, but as we're, you know, science, technology, we're working more from home. We're sitting, we're spending more time at our desks. I mean, that's been going on for a long time, and it just accelerated with with COVID. 
um, less time, you know, being out there active. And, you know, so it's important to, you know, that posture sitting at your desk, you know, it's just everybody's doing it. And if you're not aware, it will compound over time. You don't want to be that hump. You don't want to be the hump guy. You don't want to be that, that guy or that gal that's walking around with that hump because that's right. Tell, correct me if I'm wrong. Once you've got that, that's impossible to, to fix, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, what that hump is, it's called Dowager's hump. And it's not muscle. It's not fat. It's just a ton of connective tissue built up there mm. uh, to reinforce the ligaments that are now being stretched in, in the upper vertebrae. Um, so once, once you got it, you can't go back. Oh, man. Yeah. Don't want to be the hump guy or gal. Uh, thank you. That was that. I never knew what that was. That that's really interesting. Inter what was it? What's it called again? That Dowager Hump. D O W A G E R. I'm gonna take a note on that hump guy, gal. Mm -hmm. Dowager. Okay. Um, all right. So let's move on. Um, so thank you for all that background. We jumped right into it. This is how I do it. I told you. I'll pick a subject that I think may you know that is relatable to me, but that I think people will benefit from. So. Yeah, I love it. How about, um, let's talk about some more things in terms of, so this research, the most effective ways for people for diet and exercise. I mean, why don't you maybe, why don't you give us your top, you know, three to five, you know, overall that you think like, okay, if I were to do it for the average human being to do nothing else, like these are the top three to five habits that they're going to want to uh, develop to lead that yeah. their best healthy life. Okay, I would start number one is sleep. Um, and a lot of people are surprised when it comes from an exercise guide. They think I'd say exercise, but I would put sleep above exercise. And the reason is that good sleep affects everything else. If you think about it, it you're supposed to spend one third of your life sleeping. If, you know, if anybody here lives to be 90, you'll spend 30 years asleep. Uh, that probably means it's pretty important. Uh, so good restful sleep. I can't emphasize it enough. If you're not getting good restful sleep, go to a sleep clinic, uh, talk to your doctor, talk to sleep clinic to see if you have maybe like sleep apnea or something. Sleep apnea is super, super common. Super um, common. I, I have mild sleep apnea. I went to, sorry to yeah. interrupt you there, but I, I did go to a, a sleep clinic and for years I was like, what's going on? And so, yes, it was very helpful. I highly recommend it. Yeah. People think they might have it. Yeah, and you'd be surprised how many people with sleep out with undiagnosed sleep apnea have other conditions where you fix the sleep apnea, you sleep apnea, you fix that condition. For instance, in my um, in my diabetes book, um, when I was doing the research for it, um, what I saw is that people uh, diabetics who have sleep apnea, um, when they improve their sleep apnea, they require less insulin without any change in nutrition, without change in exercise, just improve sleep apnea. Now, sleep apnea in the general population is something like ten to thirteen percent. Uh, sleep apnea in diabetics is something like 50%. And in diabetics who are resistant to treatment, who like they're already taking medication and still not improving it, it's like 70%. Same thing with, um, with uh, anxiety and depression, my mental health book. Um, one thing I talked about is the importance of sleep. Same thing. General population, 10 to 13% sleep apnea in people with anxiety or depression, it's, it's way higher. Same thing with high blood pressure. And in all of these conditions, when you improve sleep apnea, that condition improves. Medications can be lowered. Um, and in a, certain, in a small amount of cases, those conditions are, are resolved entirely, um, which makes sense when you think about it. You're spending hopefully eight hours per day sleeping. So if you improve that huge chunk of time, a lot of the, the other 16 hours benefit as well. So if I was to pick the top thing, that'd be, that'd be it, that'd be sleep. Um, That's great. No, I, and I just want to pause there for a moment. I, 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 it's interesting to hear that like anxiety, depression, um, is helped by working on your sleep apnea. One would think my, my initial thought would be you want to work on your anxiety and depression to yeah. help your sleep apnea. And I'm sure it probably goes both ways or I shouldn't say I'm sure it does go you both ways. That, that is a, what we call a bi-directional relationship. So yes, you can improve your sleep and as a result, improve your anxiety and depression, but the opposite is true as well. You can improve your anxiety and depression and therefore you can improve your sleep. Got it. You just have to watch what's the lower hanging fruit. In other words, if you take, let's say melatonin or magnesium and it helps you get to sleep while you have anxiety or depression, maybe that's fast, faster than using psychotherapy. Not, not to say you shouldn't use psychotherapy, you, you absolutely should um, if, if you need it. Um, but if that one works faster, maybe it's something you can do in conjunction. Um, on the other hand, maybe your issue is not biochemical, maybe it is psychological. In which case, maybe psychotherapy is more appropriate than melatonin or magnesium. Mm. Um, any of these, uh, people often ask me about supplements. Any vitamin or mineral is beneficial for you if you have a deficiency. No deficiency, no benefits. 
uh, to go from deficient to um, sufficient, very, you're, you're going to be, you're going to experience great improvements in health. To go from sufficient to excessive, not so good. Mm, this is, so this is really interesting uh, because I, right. And by the way, I love how you're, I, I, I'm really glad I had you on the show because you're backing up what you're saying. I can tell you've done the research, you know, you've got, yeah. <laughs> um, you've got the buzzwords and you, you can tell that you've actually spent time versus just hearing something somewhere once and, and repeating it. So thank you for that. Um, vitamins and supplements, right. That's one that I, you know, I hear different. Obviously there's a lot of different takes on that. What you just said though, makes perfect sense. It's like, if your body doesn't need it, you, taking more of it isn't going to accelerate your health, right? It's just going to be yeah. like excess. In fact, it sounds like it could even hurt. With, uh, with certain nutrients, uh, at the worst that can happen is you just pee them out, no big deal. But with other nutrients, you could cause some outright harm. For instance, vitamin C, you overdose on that, the worst you can get is diarrhea, no big deal. Back off on the dose and you're fine. Uh, B vitamins, same thing. You overdose, no big deal, you pee them out. But with things like calcium or iron, you overdose, it could cause them very, very bad things. Interesting. So I do take supplements in the morning. So how do I, how do I get, you know, I take what I feel like I don't get enough of in food. Um, like, and I don't take them every morning, but like, if I'm like, Oh, yesterday I didn't eat as much greens, um, or drink any, or eat any fruit or something, you know, I, I'll take my multivitamin. So, I mean, how do you know what your baseline is to where if you're deficient on something or not? Yeah, that, that right now that's uh, that, that's a hot topic in the realm of nutrition research. How do you figure out what your own deficiencies are? And there are a number of different tests you can use. You can use a very very standard blood chemistry, which doesn't test for all nutrients, but it tests for a few. It, you, you'll get a test for iron. You get a test for B12, vitamin D. Those are the standard ones. Uh, maybe a couple others. Uh, but some nutrients doesn't make sense to test in blood. For instance, there is no point in testing calcium in your blood because calcium isn't in blood. It's in your bones and your teeth. Right. Um, so there are, there are other tests that you can use. Uh, there's one test called the organic acids profile, um, and that'll tell you other nutrients, things like B vitamins, vitamin C, vitamin K, vitamin D. And, and where, do you, where do you get these tests? Can you get them like on Amazon? You just, anybody order them um, or you have to go to your doctor? No. Um, with, it, it depends where you live. Uh, if you live in the US, uh, there are, you can go to your doctor, that, that is a possibility. There are also a few different laboratories and other direct consumer. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to name any, any labs. Um, if, uh, if you live in Canada, um, yeah, the same thing, labs and cells are on sewer, but um, with, with our system, especially in Ontario, it's a little bit tougher to get all the tests that you need through just your regular uh, general practitioner. Well, hello, there's a business opportunity for somebody. <laughs> I mean, right? Okay. Like, who doesn't want to just, like, have one at-home test that they can, they can do? And it sounds like we have the technology to do it, right? I'd imagine it's just taking blood samples or saliva or yep. whatever. Uh, blood, blood, blood and urine. Okay. So, I mean, there's, what's that, that um, 23andMe, right? There's that DNA test. Yep. So people, people are doing that type of thing. So that's not unheard of. Uh, yep. Yeah. I mean, what, why do you think that nobody has developed a, an at-home test? I mean, you would think that that would be hugely popular. No, they, they exist. They exist. Unfortunately, um, there's not very many laboratories that sell direct to consumer, and uh, most of them sell to practitioners, and practitioners sell to consumers. Um, and and I'm, I'm only aware of two labs that sell direct to consumer, and unfortunately, they're, they're, they're very good tests, but very often very good scientists are not very good marketers. Um, well, tell us. And, what are they? What are the two tests? Uh, one, one laboratory is called Great Plains Laboratory, okay. and one laboratory is called ZRT Labs. Um, so those, those are two labs. So the what, how do you spell ZRT? I'm going to put these in the show um, notes. Yeah. Um, just, just like it sounds, these are just, uh, these are the letters. So Z, um, then the letter R, then the letter, so Z like Zorro, okay. R like Robert, B like Thomas. So Google those and see if you can get a test. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, I don't know if they ship all over the world, but they certainly do in North America. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. Anybody listening, I'm, I'm going to order one as soon as I get off the phone because like, Otherwise, you're just guessing and not think about the amount of money. If you're taking supplements every day, thinking, uh, may, you know, maybe I need this, maybe I don't. It's like, don't you want to know for sure? And granted, I would imagine there's some variability with the test because they're going to test based on what you've been eating in the last. Well, I guess I'll ask you that. Is it the, like the last day, the last week, the last month? Like how accurate are these? Yeah. 
depending what you're testing, if it's urine, if it's blood, or if it's saliva. So different, uh, different specimens have different, uh, uh, I guess, uh, time periods that they tell you about. So for example, urine will tell you about the last like one to five days. Blood will tell you about the last three months. Mm, and, blood uh, and saliva is kind of in the middle. Blood is best, okay. Blood is best. Yeah, it's probably it's best. Is that it just tells you about the longest period of time, but it's not always the most accurate. Um, just like you wouldn't test calcium in the blood, um, you wouldn't test certain nutrients in the urine. For example, you wouldn't test calcium in the urine either. Um, okay. So do yeah. these tests just focus on one, or are you saying they, they get, they, they get, they, you take a blood, urine, and saliva test with, all, yeah. with each one? If you, want to be, if, you want to, if you want to be super comprehensive, yeah, you take all three, blood, urine, saliva. But like uh, this, this, um, great, this Great Plains Laboratory and ZRT, like if you order one, does it, does it test all three? Uh, there are options to test two out of three, uh, oh. blood and urine. Um, but uh, again, there's we're, we're still, not not we, but the scientific community is still in the process of developing better and better and better yeah. tests. Right now, the gold standard for nutrient testing is uh, what's called urinary organic acids. Um, but even that has its limitations. So right now, even the best is not good enough, but it's getting better and better. Maybe in the next five, 10 years, we'll see even better tests. All right. Well, it's better than nothing. I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into it and, and order that. I yeah. recommend everybody else do too, because, That's um, for sure. so, oh, he's, this guy's at, uh, wildflowers asking, how do you test for calcium? Good uh, so for calcium yeah. So for calcium, it's, uh, like one of the best tests is just a standard bone density scan from your doctor. Yeah. Uh, your doctor would likely need to send you to a laboratory or a specialist and they'd, they'd scan your body. They'd scan, they'd scan your skeleton. Sounds expensive. Hopefully you have good insurance. <laughs> well, if you're in Ontario, it's covered. <laughs> oh, man. If you're not in Ontario, you better have good insurance. <sighs> Don't get me started. Yeah, I hear I you. Hear you. Um, okay. By the way, yeah. uh, a small comment on the test. The value of any test is, yes, there is a value in the initial test, but the value is really in the retest. Because uh, you might be, it might tell you you're low in something, you start taking it, and you're still not. You're three months later, you retest, and it's still not any higher. Mm. In which case, maybe the problem isn't intake. Maybe the problem is absorption or excessive losses. Got it. That makes that makes sense. Absorption, obsessive losses, um, excessive there are, losses. There, yeah. yeah. There are three possible reasons why any nutrient might be low. One is intake. Maybe you're just not consuming enough mm -hmm. of that nutrient. Two is absorption. Maybe you're eating enough of it, but you're not extracting that nutrient from the food or the supplement that you're, that you're consuming. And three is excessive losses. If you're losing too much of that vitamin or that mineral, it uh, doesn't matter how much you eat, doesn't matter how well you absorb, you, you just won't have enough. Um, so one example is, especially with premenopausal women who still have a menstrual cycle, um, they are frequently low mm -hmm. in iron, even though they're consuming red meat, uh, their absorption is fine, they have no gastrointestinal complaints, but they're just losing too much, just heavy periods. Um, so those are three examples or three reasons why any nutrient might be low. Oh man, dude, I love you. Right. I You're awesome. No, seriously. Like, uh, I can't tell you how many people I talk to and you know, they, they wouldn't like, I feel like every, every subject we've had so far, I mean, you, you really know your stuff. Um, right. Three reasons we're deficient. Like that's super important to know. And I'd imagine every per right, every, every person's different. Their biology is different. So that retest, like you're saying is so important because you, even if you're low, you can't just all of a sudden start taking vitamins or whatever and thinking, okay, now I fixed it. You got to test yeah. two to three months later because maybe you're either you're into, you're absorbing or you have excessive losses, right? Yeah. The analogy that I make is like pouring water into a bucket. Let's say you're pouring water into a bucket, but there's a hole at the bottom of the, buck of the bucket. So what's going to happen? Do you, it, it, does the water increase or does the water decrease? Well, it really depends. If you're pouring more water than coming out, it's going to increase. Mm -hmm. But if the, the, if the leak in the bucket is too great, then you can pour all you want and it's just not going to refill. So that's kind of the analogy that I make. That's great. I love that. Um, okay, let's let's get back on track. We kind of sidetracked with vitamins and minerals, although, or maybe it was. So we were going your top three to five. Sleep Sorry. was number one. Um, these are for people just joining or, or, or listening. Uh, where I asked, I asked Igor his his top three to five habits that to for the the most happy, successful, physically healthy human being we can be. So number one was sleep. What's number two? Yeah. Number two, um, exercise, in my opinion, if the goal is just general wellness. 
if the goal is weight loss, nutrition of exercise, but if somebody's already at their ideal weight and doesn't want to lose weight or gain weight, then exercise. Um, and number three, I would say nutrition. Well, um, hold on. Let's not, let's not slip over exercise. Let's talk about exercise sure. for a minute. Yeah. Um, so here, what I'm always trying to preach to people is, you know, going back to the habit stuff, like exercise is one of those things that has a trigger word for a lot of people. You either, you either hear that word and you're like, Ooh, yeah, exercise. When's my next exercise going to be? Or you hear it and go, Oh God, I don't do that enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. And, and then you got the in-betweeners like, Oh yeah, you know, I got to set that up a little bit. So it's a loaded, it's a loaded word that, you know, and it's probably new, you know, eating and, and exercise are the two things that our society, at least in the U S I assume it's probably pretty similar in Canada, you know, constantly are preaching and there's a million ads and things coming at us like the revolutionary way to, to do it. And everybody just wants to hit a button, right. And have yeah. all the exercise and all the, the nutrition and they think it can order it for nine ninety nine on their app, but it doesn't yeah. work that way. And I'm always preaching about reducing the friction for exercise. So um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this and see if you agree how important it is to find an exercise that you, again, going back to how we're all different and we're all unique and we have our own physiology and, and our minds work differently. So what you actually enjoy. Um, so for me, like I, you put me on a treadmill, I want to put a gun in my head, you know, uh, <laughs> I, you know, so certain things I just, I would avoid at all costs. My wife, she's a runner. She ran in, in high school. She loves going for runs. She clears her mind. She thinks about all the stuff going on in her life. Like, so, right. So total polar opposites. So there's not just one, like, Hey, you should go to the gym. You should exercise, but you got to figure out what it is that you're able to do that you enjoy. Right. So I like to play yeah. basketball because I'm, when I'm competing, when I'm playing against uh, tennis uh, paddles, a, a thing we do here in the winter in, in the, in the Midwest, uh, it doesn't even feel like exercise. Right. Yeah. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm competing against somebody and I love it. And I, it, it's, I could play for three hours straight. And I won't even know it until the next morning when I'm like, oh, man, I'm sore, right? So what is your take on that? Absolutely. Um, so I, I, I can see it both, both ways. On the one hand, yes, you need to do something that's enjoyable so it doesn't feel like exercise, it doesn't feel like a chore, and you feel like doing it. On the other hand, we also tend to gravitate towards the stuff we're naturally good at and ignore the stuff we're bad at. For instance, I make this mistake. I used to be a powerlifter for 12 years. Uh, I'm naturally strong, so I like lifting heavy things. But I'm also naturally very inflexible, so I hate mm. yoga. Even though I should be doing more yoga, I should be doing more stretching. Got it. That can benefit my health more than lifting heavier weights. If you can already lift 400 pounds, does going from 400 to 500 really enhance your health? At that point, actually, no. Uh, but does improving my range of motion enhance my health? Yes. On the other end of the spectrum, people who naturally gravitate towards yoga are the ones who shouldn't be doing yoga and they need more strength training. If you test them before they ever took their first yoga class, they're probably already hypermobile. Uh, their joints are already loosey-goosey and they need to be to, their joints need to be tighter. Um, so on the one hand, yeah, you need to do something that's enjoyable. On the other hand, you should probably combine it with something that's necessary. Ooh, I love that you said that uh, because that's a great point, right? So in general, I think that like, Right. Like you said, you want to have strength. You want to have flexibility. Some people are just at that baseline of like, they're not exercising hardly at all. So, so just yeah. starting and yeah. we all, we, you, we both know that you got to start small with anything. Cause if you all of a sudden yeah. you're taking yoga classes and you're, you know, doing all these things, you're going to be like, Whoa, this is way too much. So, you, so if you're not doing anything, you know, right. Start, just find something you like and start getting that proactively schedule that into your routine. But then, like you said, if, okay, you are exercising, but you're really only focusing on strength exercise, and I'm with you, I, I do not enjoy yoga. Yeah. Uh, it's very, I'm very inflexible. It's very tough for me. One of the things I have gotten in the habit of every single morning is I stretch in the shower. So it's not exact, it's, it's not as good, but it's at least something where I'm stretching all these parts and I even do the one where I bend, I bend my head back and I grab the wall to kind of just stretch yeah. everything. I love that one. I it's just fine. feel like my entire, yeah. just everything's just opening up. And it, it's the opposite of that feeling. Like we were talking about earlier when you're like this yeah, hunched totally. over turtle. Um, exactly. So is there a way like for yoga, like what would you recommend for somebody like me other than what I'm doing, you know, to be able to get into more of the stretching type stuff? Yeah, that, that's a tough one. Cause uh, I, I, like I said, I'm in the same boat as you. Um, I hate stretching yet. I need it. 
uh, it would be beneficial for me. But what I would do is, um, if if at all possible, do it one on one with an instructor who understands your body and accommodates the positions to you. Because um, one of the reasons is that people like us, the tight folks, don't like stretching, is not just our aversion to it, but our, ana our anatomy. For instance, the in, in somebody who can easily do a back bridge, the gap between each vertebra is very large. They might have a three to four centimeter gap, uh, one one and a half inch gap between each vertebra. People like us might have a much smaller gap. We might have a half a half inch to a quarter to a three quarters of an inch between each vertebra. So our, our spines just don't bend that way. It's just bone, bone goes into bone. Um, so partially it's anatomical, but if you try to fit the person to the posture, you're going to turn off a lot of people. You are supposed to fit the posture to the person. Um, so if at all possible, work one-on-one -on -one with a yoga instructor who has a great understanding of anatomy and your individual anatomy. Um, yeah, that, that's my best advice for yoga. Um, in the absence of the possibility of working one-on-one -on -one with an instructor, uh, do it to work, work your way up just like you would work up to endurance or strength. Start with a small amount, even if it's not an effective amount as far as flexibility goes, but it might be effective in terms of habit formation. Mm. So maybe five minutes instead of an hour. Yeah, okay. I like that. Yep. Um, and I like fit the posture to the exercise versus vice versa. Um, and yeah, my wife's a physical, th a physical therapist. Um, and so, right. She, it is super important to, to know for your specific, uh, physiology, like what types of exercises you should be do, doing. However, I'm going to, when I first heard you say, you know, get a trainer, get somebody to my first instinct, which I bet a lot of people's is, is I'm never going to do that. Right. And so let's, 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 let's meet in the middle and reduce the friction. It, it might be worth going to just doing one book, one physical therapy session and just kind of get yeah. your baseline of like, Hey, this is, this is my body, right? Uh, you're, I'm, I'm yeah. strong here. I'm weak here. I'm strong. You know, I got the good flexible and, and then they can kind of give you like overall, okay, here's some good exercises. And then you can gamify those yourself and make those into yeah. whatever you want. That's probably a great uh, like halfway point approach. Yeah. I get a physical therapist, a trainer, a yoga instructor, do one session with them. Uh, and what you want to get out of that session is a range of motion assessment of various different joints. Figure out the three or four joints that are the tightest and just get exercises for those that you can do on your own. Um, that's probably the, the, the most frictionless way to go about it. I love and it. Yet, make any effect of this. Great. Exercise. Glad we paused on that. You were going to go next to what did I hear? Nutrition? Nutrition. Yeah. Um, now this one's a can of worms because people approach nutrition like they approach religion. Uh, like they have very, very strong opinions, um, often without evidence. But uh, my whole, I, I once wrote an, uh, an article on, on my blog about what is good nutrition. And it's, it's essentially agnostic. Um, good nutrition is this. Does it provide you with the subjective health that you want? In other words, symptoms. And I'll often run symptom questionnaires with my clients. Does it provide the objective help that you want with the blood work? And does, it perform, and, and does it fulfill the performance goals that you want? And if you have performance goals. In other words, if your performance goal is if you work eight hours a day at a computer, then that's your performance goal. And you don't really do anything else out of that. Um, if your performance goal is, yes, you work eight hours a day at a computer, but you also play tennis afterwards, then that's your performance goal. So it doesn't support all three. And if it does, it doesn't matter what the theory says. Don't eat gluten, do eat gluten. Um, it fits the bill. You feel good, your blood work is objectively good, um, and you're accomplishing your athletic goals if you have any, great, that, that's good nutrition. Uh, now, if it's not, no matter how clean it is, it might be a raw, vegan lifestyle, um, et cetera, if it's not accomplishing either your subjective or objective or performance goals, then it's not a good diet. Okay, so give me the three again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put those in the show notes. Sure, your subjective well-being. that's your symptoms, um, your objective well-being, that's your blood chemistry, and your performance goals, if relevant. Sometimes it's not always relevant, but performance goals is things like, what does it take for you to live your life? And that depends on what's your life. Is it sedentary at a computer? Um, are you active? Are you in a construction job? Um, or are you sedentary at work and yep. then fairly active afterwards? Okay, and then just to reminders to the viewers, so they want, how do they want to handle all three? Like, what's the, what's the goal here? Um, as much as possible, you want to be asymptomatic. You want to have, you want to feel good. You want to have no symptoms of anything going on in your body. Uh, no digestive symptoms, no immune symptoms, no blood sugar symptoms, et cetera. 
Mm. Objectively, you want to have great blood, great blood chemistry. That's your cholesterol, your blood sugar, your iron, um, and every other marker that you can think of. And performance, uh, that's to, for your sport slash activity. Yep. Love it. Okay. But no, that's, that's super, that's super. So, so going back to, you know, the types of things that people eat, um, you know, what are some of the signs or how do you know kind of same conundrum we talked about with, you know, your, your, your vitamin level or your, you know, your in, uh, what, testing your levels. How do you know what you need to change? Um, you know, how can you start kind of molding and, and finding the ideal type of nutrition uh, yeah. that works um, for you? Yeah, great question. Um, it's without a, a knowledge or a background or education in nutrition, it's, it's tough. But you can take an inventory of your own symptoms. Um, just Google symptom questionnaire. Um, and you want a fairly comprehensive one. I did one that, with, uh, that has 300 questions or more. Um, and a good questionnaire will have you rating your symptoms based on frequency and severity. Uh, frequency, how many times per week or per month or per day do you feel it? And severity is on a zero to 10 scale, how much does it bother you? Um, or some kind, it doesn't have to be zero to 10, it can be zero to five, zero to three, doesn't matter. But it, it, it rates it on both a frequency and a severity scale. Um, and it's not just a single symptom, because any one symptom by itself doesn't mean a, a heck of a lot. A cluster of symptoms pointing in the same direction, that starts to mean stuff. Mm. Um, so first, take an inventory of your symptoms via a symptom questionnaire. Uh, that's step one. Step two is figure out what does this cluster of symptoms mean? And um, if, if you have the resources, the ability, hire somebody to help you out with it. If not, just Google, how, what does this symptom mean? And then how do I eat or supplement or exercise to improve that? Um, a, bunch of, uh, a bunch of different things could be solved with what I just talked about earlier sleep, exercise, and I hesitate to say good nutrition because that means so many different things, but those go through. Got it. No, that's, that's fantastic. That's, that's great advice because I think a lot of people, and again, a physical therapist, um, one, one trip to a physical therapist would, would help and, and your doctor, you know, just say, hey, you know, what is this? What's going on? I mean, everybody should be getting yeah. at least yearlies. Um, but for sure, right. I mean, uh, it's amazing to me how many people, uh, and I've been guilty of it in the past too, are just like, oh, that's nothing you know, and then it just starts getting more and more severe. You know, I had lower back pain and I just ignored it. And then finally I was like, oh, something's going on. And it turns out I had yeah. some, some disc issues and, you know, and then I learned the exercises to do and it's been much better ever since. And same with, I had plantar fasciitis. I was like, what the heck is this? What is going on? And yeah, you know, <laughs> learned to have Strasburg sock. And I, and to this day, I talk to tons of people that they'll be like, am hey, I, my heel is like, there's something going on. And I'll be like, dude, you've got plantar fasciitis. Go order Strasburg sock off the internet. And you may agree, disagree, but to me, it worked like a charm. So that's the advice I give. It just basically just awesome. stretches your stretches your foot back. And, um, you, you know, you use it for a period of time. Usually I, I've got, I've had it several times in my life and I've gotten rid of it as soon as like two or three days. And sometimes it takes like a week, but stretching that yeah. out just makes it completely go away. It's amazing. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, plantar fasciitis, anything ending in itis means inflammatory. So plantar fasciitis is inflammation of the plantar fascia, the fascia at the bottom of your foot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, stretching it out helps. And by the way, regardless of what any um, research says or doesn't say, you can't argue with, with bottom line results. If, right. the, if, the, if the research disagrees with you, but you say, uh, this helped me, well, there's no disagreeing with the results. You're reporting fact. This is not an opinion. Right, right. It's like, that's exactly right. I, it's like, I, I want to preface it with, I don't know if I should be giving this advice to everybody, but it's like, well, it worked for me and, you know, yeah. feel free to try it. Everybody's different. Yep. Um, okay. And all right. So are we, are those the top three? Are there any more after that? Um, one, I wasn't sure where to fit this one in, but attitude, mindset. Mm. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not sure where to fit this one in because they're all integrated with each other. If you sleep I'd well, say, you might have better attitude. Um, right. I'd say mindset almost is, is number one, um, just in, yeah. in terms of like, you got to get your mind. I mean, because I have these five core areas. You can see my little uh, rocket ship in the back and then the mindset is the top one um, yeah. th that are so important. Physical health is one of them uh, that are so important to our lives. And, and without the right mindset, like, I can do this and I'm going to do this and it's only a matter of time before I get there and I'm going to give fear the finger. Like without that, all this stuff becomes incrementally more difficult and the friction yeah. is greatly improved. 
Yeah, for sure. Like it starts with, uh, it's the old model, models of change. It has to start with desire. You have to want to do something to improve something or to change something. After there's a desire, there needs to be a plan. Um, and after there's a plan, there needs to be belief. Belief that you can do it. Because if you have a plan and you don't believe you can do it, well, that, that's a problem. So you have to figure out what are different ways for you to improve your belief. So about three, three and a half years ago, I wrote an article about how I got my grandma to start strength training, which is very, very, very difficult. Mm. She had the belief that she's, she had many beliefs that why she shouldn't strength train. Um, so I had to figure out ways to get her to change her beliefs to be a person who strength trains. How'd you, okay, this is right up my alley, right? Tricking people's okay. brains, connecting to your why. As soon as you, you said the connect, right, I, I, I immediately go, Simon Sinek, I don't know if you know who he is. He's got a great yeah. uh, video on connecting to your why. To, that's everything. You got to like connect to why this makes sense and deep down in your, in your soul, like want to, want to take the action because you're like, oh, I have to do this versus right. somebody telling you to do it, being like, hey, Right. Right. So, how did you get your grandma to tell me? Man, it was difficult. So, for <laughs> so, she was a uh, diabetic for about thirty-one years before she passed away. And the last ten of those years, I was telling her—I mean, all the stuff that I write about in my diabetes book. Um, now, you think she'd listen to me when it comes to nutrition? Because heck, I wrote a few books about it. But no, no she not how it works. Especially family members. Her. It's like what? I'm not yeah, listening. Exactly. If they change your diapers once upon a time, your word means nothing. <laughs> um, right. That's so a good one. I kept telling her about how good all this stuff is, et cetera. Um, no go. So I'm thinking, what are her obstacles? Well, one, um, she doesn't believe me because I'm young or much younger than her. Um, and, but never mind that my clients are her age or older. But so I'm giving her uh, like their details, not mine. Um, so that, that's one thing. The other thing is she says, um, her joints hurt. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm like, let's figure out how can we do strength training in a way that's effective for the muscles, but easy on the joints. Eventually, the, the straw that broke the camel's back and actually got her to start strength training is, I'm like, who am I trying to think? What influences people? And different people are influenced by different things. Some people are influenced by case studies. They, one of their friends did it, it was effective for them, so they do it too. Some people are influenced by mainstream media. If, you know, the New York Times wrote about it or the Washington Post, that's good enough. Or if it's reported on CNN, that's true. That's a certain generational thing. And some people are influenced heavily by scientific research. And most people are influenced by a combination of those three. For me, the big two are scientific research and, uh, and individual case studies. Mainstream media doesn't mean a heck of a lot to me. But right. to my, my grandma, it does. Um, so I went on the Russian version of YouTube because she didn't, she didn't speak English. So I went on the Russian version of YouTube called RuTube and I typed in Russian senior strength training. And sure enough, there was a five minute video of Russian senior strength training. They only started in their seventies. She's like, oh, so she couldn't use the excuse of they've been doing it their whole life. She, she saw that they started it in their seventies. So she's like, oh, well, I should probably do that too. So but 10, 10 years of me telling her the science and everything not working versus a five-minute video of people like her who were doing it and benefiting from it, and that got her strength. strength. Oh, dude, that's a great – that is the type of story right there, my man, that I love hearing. Because what you, you, gamified, you're, you're gamified your grandma. You gamified figuring – and this is where what most people don't do is, is they'll just give up, right? Oh, like how many – like the fixed victim in you would have gone – I'll never convince my grandma. I've been trying for years, right? But no, you yeah. said the growth owner in you is like, okay, we got to figure out her why. We got to connect on that deeper level with her. What, what is important to her? What, is, what do I know that she respects? And you figured that out and you got right to the root and then boom, changed, your, yeah, changed yeah. her life forever. Good for you. Yeah, and, yeah. and she was uh, strength training consistently for like um, daily before, you know, before, you know, her health took a toll. Uh, but yeah, it, it, that worked. Oh, man. Um, okay. Well, this dude, this has been such, I, I feel like we could talk for hours. We're wrapping up here. I, this is, did, did I miss anything before? So that I had four things, so, right? So it was, um, all right. So mindset, I'm going to put it number one, right? Sure. Uh, then sleep, exercise, nutrition. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I always hesitate to give lists like this because if somebody's goal is weight loss, I'd put nutrition above exercise. Got it. Uh, okay. Well, that's good to know. Right. So it, it depends and it all depends on the person. So, and they can get more yeah. information on this and have you help them if they go to your website. 
And yep, that's one, that, that's one avenue. The other thing they can do is if anybody wants a free um, PDF version of this book, Stop Exercising the Way You're Doing It Now, mm. um, they can just visit fitnesssolutionsplus.ca slash stop exercising. Love it. Okay. And so let's, I like to end on this. So we've already, t- we've talked a lot about a lot of different types of habits today. As you know, I'm a habit guy and gamifying habits. Is, what would you say would be the top habit that you individually may at one point have considered was a failure habit. It was hurting you. It was building negative momentum in your life. And the compounding effect was not going to be a good story at the end that you've now been able to turn around and turn into a success habit. And this could be anything. It doesn't have to be exercise related. It could just be like your, your realization, like you said earlier that you, you know, didn't want to go into tech and you want to do this, but something, there's a habit you must have developed that has kind of helped propel you to where you are now. Yeah, I guess uh, I'd be um, a career habit, um, which is, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, my parents wanted me to, be, to go into computer programming and the habit up until that point was, you know, to be a, a good, nice Jewish boy, uh, listen to my, uh, listen to my parents, do what they say. But in this case, um, I get where they're coming from. Um, you know, com- computer programming is a good career if you have an aptitude and an interest in that, which is not me. Right. And our, uh, you can't blame our parents. Sorry to interrupt. But, you know, they, yeah. they, that was a totally different realm where sure. that's how they were, you know, they're stuck in that failure loop. It's like, that's what was put on them. And they just want what's best for us. And they think this is what's best. So they're going to push. They don't realize that that has, yep. is the worst way to go about it. But sorry, continue okay. on. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally not blaming them. I'm just, I'm just saying that wasn't for me. Of course, yeah. Um, so I broke that habit and, uh, and, and tried to figure out what, uh, what kind of conditions do I want to work in? What, what will be enjoyable to me? What will be a job where I don't dread Mondays? Um, and that was personal training. Nice. So then I started to use that criteria for other aspects of my career. Love it. So, so I, I'd say from a 10,000-foot view, the habit that you developed was to become more aware of your own interests and passions and strengths. And, you know, you, by doing that, you know, you then, you then created the habit of, okay, now I know what I I want and now I'm going to set a goal and this is where I want to head. And you basically just developed that habit of getting up every single day and making sure that you're, you're moving towards it. So the habit of persistence, I would say. Persistence and having small things to check off your to-do list that actually move you forward. Right. And persistence is one of those things, people, again, speaking of gamifying it, um, way easier to be persistent and stick with your goals when you're enjoying what you're doing and you're reducing the friction because you actually like what you're doing versus starting a business because you think it'll make money or doing something somebody else wants you to or stepping into that box that, you know, you think you belong in. So we'll... We'll leave it at that. So thank you so much, Igor. This has been amazing. I really appreciate you being on. Um, like I said, I like people that actually back up what they say with scientific research evidence. And you had a lot of, brought a lot of that to the table today. So super valuable information. Thank you so much, man. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me uh, on the show, Will and Assad. This is one of my favorite topics we chat about. Love it, man. All right. We'll talk soon. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. That's it for the five core life. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that like button on this video and pound that subscribe button so you get notified when new episodes drop. Also, please fill out the free five core life evaluator quiz. It's a great way to get a baseline of where you are and the five cores and which of the five cores you need support. In addition, you'll get some actionable advice that you can apply and start improving your life in the areas that you need it most. That's it for today's episode of the five core life podcast. Have a wonderful day. Get moving. Gain momentum. Join the movement. Join Emmett by going to moremomentum.com to take a free life evaluator quiz on where you currently stand in each of your five course. 